the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Here right now, this is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a brand new episode of New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the TFPT Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back in time and we look back at something that took place during the WWF's New Generation. And this week is the doozy of all doozies, something I have been looking to do since this show was launched. Uh, It took place on November 20th, 1995. It took place in Richmond, Virginia at the Richmond Coliseum. It is a part of a Monday Night Raw taping, and we will get to what it is in just a couple of minutes. But let's first start by getting here into the old welcome of the show. Of course, you know, on New Generation Declassified, we take a look back at stuff that happened uh, from two points of view. First, from the fans point of view back then. What was going on? I was a big fan of the new generation. I could tell you a lot because this was like my heyday. This was my uh, apex possibly of being a uh, a kid fan uh, starting to get into the teenage years, but still having a love of wrestling. So I'm going to kind of give it to you from that perspective, but also looking back, do these things hold up? Is there stuff we've learned about it since? Is there something that looking back, maybe, uh, you know, is it as good as we remember? And this is what this show has been able to kind of open up for everybody whether or not you're listening to uh, the show and going back and watching something for the first time ever, or you tapped out during this uh, era of wrestling and you uh, heard about it and maybe want to check it out. Uh, hopefully we can refresh. We can make up your mind, have you go back, explore whatever it is. Uh, this is what it's all about here in a new year, 2021 uh, wrestling. Uh, I would say in terms of uh, nostalgia, Uh, You know, it just seems like every year is growing larger and larger with people consuming classic content, people looking for classic content, people collecting classic things. It's publicity photos, trading cards or action figures or magazines, Uh, whatever it is having to do with wrestling. It's hot right now. And going back and watching stuff seems to be like it's chic because it's nothing against the product. And I say it all the time. It's just not my cup of tea anymore. And I know a lot of older fans kind of feel the same way. Uh, So if you are watching stuff for the first time ever, this is new to you. And this is just like watching something. Uh, for the first time. Now the guys might be a little older and a little grayer, but you know what? When they were back in their prime and they were doing their thing, there was nobody better than some of these superstars that we're checking out when we go back in time here on New Generation Declassified. Uh, Riding solo this evening, going to talk about one of my favorite uh, promos of all time that took place on this Monday Night Raw from November 20th, 1995. Um, That has to do with a somewhat turn, I guess you would call it, um, you know, a tweener turn. He wasn't really turning heel, but he wasn't exactly a babyface anymore. And it was the night after Diesel loses the WWF World Wrestling Federation Championship to the hitman Bret Hart at Survivor Series in Washington, D.C., or if you want to get technical, uh, Landover, Maryland, uh, on November 19th, 1995. Um, but this promo kind of changed the face 
of how WWF would portray itself only a few years down the line into 97 and into 98. This promo in November 95 almost lays the foundation for the changes that we'd see and what they would have to do to get ahead of WCW eventually. Now, obviously, this is very early on in the quote-unquote Monday Night War, and this really, ironically, you know, having to do with a guy who would help catapult WCW to uh, new heights. Uh, it was just, I feel like, this night where you started to see the sprinklings and the little bits of, uh, you know, a glimmer of change happening uh, in the WWF, which obviously we know they would take really, really far, uh, only three years down the road. But this promo did a lot for the time. Now, let's take a look back at our new generation uh, time machine within the show. We talked about a promo from 1994 having to do with the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and kind of blurring the lines of kayfabe and Vince McMahon being the one who was uh, doing the interview with the Macho Man and some elements coming out referencing Vince and talking about Vince as the owner and talking about Vince is more than just the commentator that we knew at ringside. If, if you were a fan at the time, you knew who he was. You, it, it was no secret. You know, you saw him on the news, you saw him in the newspapers, you know, and just because he was portrayed as the WWF's commentator, it didn't mean we didn't get it or we didn't understand that he also owned the company. Uh, we all thought it was kind of funny. He had uh, his own LJN figure, but Mean Gene had one too. So he wasn't the only announcer that got to have it. But uh, Vince McMahon and the Macho Man really laid it down. They, they they broke kayfabe a little bit and just saying, you know, Macho Man might not have had a lot of shots left. You know, this was his last chance and they were playing off each other and it was very intense. Well, Vince McMahon comes into play again in this uh, promo because uh, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, blurs the lines of the fact he wins the belt in 1994 from Bob Backlund. And then 24 hours later, he's catapulted to Titan Tower with the marketing suits and the merchandising suits. And they're telling him that he needs to smile and he needs to be a good guy and he needs to be a little more PC. And that is where he plays it straight off of Vince. And again, I'll talk about this as we uh, we kind of move along um, with this show and with what this show kind of did. And it was actually in terms of the, the new generation timeline, it's a pretty important show. A lot of stuff happened on it. And let's run down the card uh, quickly here. Uh, the, the show itself taking place at the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. You know, at the time for me growing up in the New York, New Jersey area, you know, that didn't mean much to me. It, it just was another venue. It was another building. I remember it being a different style of building than with brick. Um, the backstage area that they showed looked a little more, you know, rugged, a little older. Uh, but coming to learn in recent years in promoting shows down in the Richmond area, talking to fans from Richmond, uh, talking to personalities from around Richmond, uh, whenever the WWF came to town, it was a big deal because Richmond is a great wrestling city. And it wasn't just the WWF. It was WCW, and they were obviously a Crockett hotbed. Uh, and I believe ECW may have passed by uh, once or twice. Uh, but the fact that Richmond, Virginia hosted this show – um, was pretty uh, pretty talented Washington the night before, so it's only about a uh, you know an hour and twenty minute drive from Washington down to Richmond. Again, I know that more now from experience than anything. But the fans that talk about the atmosphere at the Richmond Coliseum, they did talk about an energy, and they talked about how the shows uh, did kind of seem a little bit more important 
And the WWE would go on to run uh, Richmond as a pretty key city on the road to WrestleMania every year up till about WrestleMania 29, WrestleMania 30. And they always ended up in Richmond around the WrestleMania season, but I believe they kind of stopped. If I'm wrong, please let me know. I'm just going off my memory here. But uh, getting to know the Richmond area as a whole from a wrestling perspective was very cool, especially uh, at one of the conventions that I promoted in the Richmond area with JP. Uh, We had Kevin Nash. We had Big Daddy Cool Diesel. And in the road to that promotion, we asked him about it and said, you know, hey, what did that mean to you? And he he basically pointed out how Richmond was a key city of not only that promo, but also in terms of the NWO, uh, just always seemed to kind of fall into place that whenever people were running Richmond, big stuff was happening. And this promo really sets the table from November all the way to WrestleMania 12 the following year in 1996, uh, because the Big Daddy Cool storyline of him becoming a tweener and, you know, bringing back the black glove and, you know, telling kids, if you're wearing a black glove, I'll slap your hand. Otherwise, you know, I don't need you. Um, It builds all the way through the, you know, the feud with Brett into the undertaker and then into his last match with Shawn Michaels, which was, I think in April or May. Uh, So WrestleMania 12 really, and then beyond, I think it was May. It was good friends, better enemies, but it really lays the foundation on this Monday night, raw November 20th, 1995. So let's look at the card Uh, has here listed as dark matches. This was a raw taping. So there was a ton of content tape, but let's just give you the dark matches that they, uh, they kind of give you a uh, debuting superstar around that time. He debuted in September. Uh, Gold Dust defeat Aldo Montoya. Uh, the one, two, three kid and Sid defeat question mark, question mark, question mark, and question mark, question mark, question mark. So I'm assuming this was some sort of squash match. Um, and I hope those two uh, individuals had names, but uh, they're just billed here as question marks. And uh, Big Daddy Cool was in action against the British Bulldog, who defeated him by DQ. And uh, how about this for a dark match? Another DQ finish. Bret Hart defeats The Undertaker to retain the WWF Championship. So right out of the gate, I mean, that's a lot of stuff that you're seeing before the Raw taping even starts. You know, you're you're <laughs> you're digesting a hell of a night of uh, of wrestling before Monday Night Raw went live at I believe they were still on at eight o'clock at that time. Uh, so you're seeing some killer content uh, live and in person. And that again, I just wish they'd open up the library sometimes and pull some of these matches out that have never seen the light of day because uh, would love to see uh, some of those contests uh, from this arena. It's more about sometimes it's more about the arena than it even is the match. You've seen some of the matches. I've seen Undertaker versus Bret Hart, but I want to see what it was like in Richmond, you know, and Bret Hart being such a master, just so amazing with whatever he did. I'm sure it would have been uh, a great match to watch, but the show itself not a lot of matches. Remember, only an hour's worth of time. And if you're a purist, if you're an old school Raw fan, you think an hour is all you need. You get in and out. You have a couple storylines. You have a few matches. You run a few promos, a couple backstage things, and you're out. And you're just digesting that and waiting for next week on the edge of your seat because that's all we needed. We'd get an hour from everywhere. I think if you, they still had All-American Wrestling, that would be two hours. If they had it as, uh, uh, I believe... Um, uh, the Sunday morning show on USA might have stayed two hours. Action Zone, I can't remember if that was two hours. It might have been, but still, you got an hour. You got an hour of Mania. You got an hour of Superstars. You got an hour of Raw. That was enough. That was all we needed. Uh, but on this show, 
You got the one, two, three kid pulling double duty, taking on Hakushi. It's a very good match if you get a chance to watch it. Uh, kind of on the weird side of Hakushi turning face. Uh, didn't really get a lot of victories, and I don't really think the style as a babyface fit him well. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a great match to kick off a Monday Night Raw. Uh, then there would be some promos. They'd recap the Survivor Series a couple of times. And uh, Skip and Savio Vega fight to a no contest when Big Daddy Cool hits the ring and he kind of pie faces skip goes into his promo and we'll get to that here in a minute or two. And then on this show is also the very memorable segment. It's Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels in the main event. And about midway through the match, Shawn Michaels grabs his temple and he hits the floor. He hits the mat and he's out cold and nobody knew what it was. Uh, I remember very, very clearly at the time uh, people thinking it was legit I remember, uh, you know, friends of mine at school saying that they thought he was, you know, maybe dead. It was uh, quite the scene uh, in November 95 to watch Shawn Michaels hit the ground uh, because we had been told, remember, in October that he had to give up the Intercontinental Championship because he was attacked by a number of thugs outside of Syracuse nightclub. We would come to learn it was one guy who beat him up uh, because he was being a little lippy. Uh, when it came to that guy's date and, uh, you know, kind of showing off, um, which led to Dean Douglas getting the Intercontinental Championship. But we'll talk about that more in another date. Talked about it a little bit, but we'll, we'll talk about it more. Uh, so this match really sets a table for the boyhood dream for Shawn Michaels capturing the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 12. So on this show, the two dudes with attitudes, Shawn Michaels collapses and Big Daddy Cool doesn't know where his head's at. But the two of them intersect between Diesel's promo and Sean's entrance. So the, uh, the the click showing in full force here uh, on this show. Uh, but the Shawn Michaels collapsing, you know, again, they pulled it off very well, uh, showing a very concerned Jerry Lawler, who was a heel commentator, breaking kayfabe, quote unquote, at the time, going to ringside, checking on Sean, making sure he was OK. You saw Pat Patterson come out. Pat Patterson gets in the ring, is talking to Sean. Vince McMahon takes the headsets off, gets in the ring. Uh, a lot of paramedics. They're showing crowd shots. People are crying. People are, are, are aghast of what's going on. Very well done. And absolutely, you know, you can't go back and say anything, but it was uh, it was real. It was emotional. But we'd come to learn it was a part of a great story that would end up with Shawn Michaels capturing his first championship in the Iron Man match with Bret Hart, you know, which <laughs> depending on who you talk to either enters a very dark time for the company uh, where profits were getting very uh, small. And uh, the other competition, WCW, took off like uh, a, like with rocket fuel attached to it and went to the moon. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But nonetheless, two huge moments on one hour of television. Think about that. You could sit through three hours of Monday Night Raw, two hours of a Friday Night SmackDown, and I hand you a, a sheet on Saturday morning, and you might not be able to tell me anything about any of those shows. And we got one hour of TV in November of 95, and I don't even need to look at the screen, and I could tell you uh, what happened. I can almost verbatim recite the Diesel speech that he uh, he gives us because it's that great of a uh, of a time. But again, maybe I'm just saying it with rose-colored glasses. Maybe it's because I do like these uh, these shows so much. But that goes without saying. I'm uncontested tonight, so I can really kind of drive it any way I want. Uh, but the promo itself, 
Um, it's about three and a half minutes. It's not the longest promo in the world. I mean, I have seen uh, in recent weeks reviewing other stuff for other shows. I saw Steve Austin cut a seven minute promo directly into the camera without stopping, without flinching, without stuttering, without stammering. And it got its point across and it was seven minutes. This one is about three and a half after you get through, you know, Diesel's entrance, pie facing Chris Candido, uh, the, the crowd kind of not knowing what's going on. Vince not knowing what's going on by the time he starts to the time he ends. It's about three and a half minutes. But in that time revealing to everyone, look, I'm not a good guy. I'm a tough guy. But this guy here, Vince McMahon, wanted me to be a nice guy. So I did it. But I didn't like it. And now that I don't have the championship, I don't have to do this anymore. And it felt so real. But here's what it did. And this is what always, always separated Hall and Nash from everybody else in the WWF or WCW. He came off so cool that you're like, you know what? I don't care if this is real or fake, but I want to be like that guy. I want that guy's confidence. I want that guy's uh, attitude. I want that guy's style. And it just was like, yeah, I lost the title. But you know what? I get it back. But in the meantime, I'm going to take some heads off because I can because I'm seven feet tall and I'm pissed off. And the beauty of it, uh, running it down from the second he, he beats Bob Backlund to losing to Brett. So he semi-apologizes for the result of the Survivor Series where he jackknifes Brett multiple times and just lays him out in a way we uh, we wouldn't have expected when the match started. Um, the finish is fantastic where, you know, Brett looks like he's done. Uh, Diesel looks like he's starting to show Brett a little bit of mercy, a little bit of grace. And Brett kind of dekes him and rolls him up for a small package. And one, two, three, Brett gets his, I believe, at that point, let's say that was his fourth uh, championship reign. And it was it was so well done. But Diesel then snaps. He jackknifes him a bunch of times and leaves the ring to booze. And that's how they close out Survivor Series um, in stunning fashion. You know, I never would have thought that. And they had a few matches. We've seen him at the 95 Rumble. We saw him at King of the Ring 94. And this one was so much different than the others uh, to include a table spot. 1995, you did not see table spots in the WWF, but was the extreme influence starting to show? You know, was this one of the uh, the indications that what was going on in Philadelphia and ECW was kind of making its way into the other promotions? Because, you know, Brett takes a stiff, stiff fall through uh, one of the announce tables. Let's just say it's the Spanish announce table for argument's sake. Um, and those tables were not the Lego tables they have now. Those were stiff wooden tables. And he breaks it right down the middle and just crumbles in like a ton of, ton of bricks. And it's uh, it's quite the sight to see because, again, you got to look at it through those 1995 eyes. That stuff awed us at the time. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. So this promo of Kevin Nash is, is telling us, the you know, the, the motivations of a guy who didn't want to be a good guy. He didn't want to be the, the, the smiling guy. He didn't want to slap hands. You know, he didn't want to do these things, but he did it because he was the champion. And now that he's not, all bets are off. It's time for a, uh, a big change of attitude for Big Daddy Cool. Uh, if you think about what that promo means, you got to look at some of the other things that he did. All of a sudden, he's appearing, you know, in uh, the MTV Rock and Jock uh, softball game. He's uh, appearing on Regis and Kathy Lee. You know, they putting him, they're putting him in the suits. We go from seeing a guy wearing nothing but 
leather jackets and uh, steel-toed boots and, you know, jeans to, you know, GQ and, and you know, big smiles and, you know, uh, perfect manicured goatee and the long flowing hair. You know, you're seeing a different uh, portrayal of Diesel that, yeah, I mean, he was still cool. The black was cool. The goatee was cool. You know, everything was was great, but it maybe lost the edge a little bit. You know, if you remember when he debuted, he was basically just using a punch, you know, and the jackknife became such an over move that it was, uh, you know, it fit the edgy side of Diesel. You know, now it's like the happy guy Diesel hits you with this devastating jackknife. And it's like, wow, man, you know, it's, uh, uh, that's cool. That's great. You know, he couldn't do it to King Mabel, but, you know, he did it to, uh, you know, Owen Hart. Whatever. It was a, a super move. But for him as a great as a good guy, I don't really I don't feel like it had that devastation that it did as a uh, as a heel uh, coming up. But they also produced some very, very corny uh, vignettes with uh, Diesel talking about a that this is a new generation. B, he's the leader of this new generation. And C, he's happy. He just wants to be a nice guy. And this one, I'll never forget it. Uh for a few reasons one you know having to do with autograph signings and you know something that that being a big part of my life i i you know i pop for it whenever i see it i love this commercial but the cheese factor is swiss it is so cheesy it is just like it'll blow your mind if you've never seen it before it's all over youtube uh diesel goes to a personal appearance and basically uh you know (laughs) He's got the uh, the old guitar case, you know, it looks like he's a hitman kind of. And uh, he shows up and uh, puts his case on the table and they go to pay him. And uh, or excuse me, the kid, the kids come up to this autograph signing. He goes to pay and he goes, no, I don't want your money. He opens up the case. He's got the markers in there and he signs the uh, autographs for the kids. What a baby face. Not charging little kids for autographs. Now, I know from the business point of view, that would never happen. They We're charging everybody for autographs. I've played the bad cop before. Everybody's getting charged. Photos, autographs, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're not giving freebies. And to show Diesel's a good guy, he tells the kid, keep your money. I think it was like four bucks. Keep your money. This one's on me. And it's a free autograph diesel eight by 10 that I know many collectors today would probably cut off their right arm to get their hands on that, uh, that publicity shot of big daddy cool as the WWF champion with a gigantic smile on his face. And it just didn't fit. And that's what I'm trying to stress here. When you watch this promo, you got to understand the context is that just weeks before he's happy diesel. He's not this monster. He's not this edgy guy. He is happy Diesel. He's smiling. He's got his buddy back with him, Shawn Michaels. They're doing the little handshake thing. Diesel puts his arm up. Shawn Michaels runs, jumps, hits it. I used to do that with a friend of mine. It was very funny, whatever. But still, we got that was happy-go-lucky Diesel. This Diesel is ready to kick your ass, and he's ready to rub your nose in the mat. And uh, don't forget that black glove, because if you do, Diesel's just blowing you off. If you got the black glove, it's all high fives. Because Diesel, look, for a world champion, he didn't have a lot of merch. He had the gloves. He had a shirt. And he eventually had a video that wasn't even a big commercial release. It was kind of like a – it wasn't a full-blown Coliseum video. It was like one of the off-brand Coliseum videos that was released in small locations. It wasn't the mass-produced and mass-released Coliseum videos that we saw of the Hogan years and, and uh, you know, the early 90s. This was like, you know, you could buy it for $14.95. It was only an hour. It was poorly recorded. 
Um, it was dubbed by a third-party company. It's not the best video in the world. I believe the WWE Network shows it. I remember all the way back on WWE 24-7. They showed it. It's okay. It's not the best. Uh, but still, for a champion, he didn't have a lot of merchandise. They didn't even have an action figure uh, deal at that point. Uh, the action figure deal that ended in about 1993-ish, uh, early 94, Diesel would have been in the unproduced line, but it wasn't Big Daddy Cool, the champion Diesel. It was Heel Diesel. It was the Heater Diesel. It was Shawn Michaels' bodyguard Diesel. So uh, it's kind of a, a slap in the face, but he was the nice guy. He He did not um even remotely have those heel tendencies anymore but what this promo does is it changes the culture uh he doesn't curse you know he doesn't really he doesn't you know give the middle finger he doesn't do anything like that uh he gives the middle finger in january at the royal rumble to the undertaker being the first guy to drop a middle finger like that um on wwf tv but it just kind of shows you what we would eventually see throughout 96 and glimpses throughout the beginning of 97 and then obviously towards the tail end of 97 and on where the culture would change. You got to go all the way back to 1995 to a pre stone cold era of big daddy, cool diesel cutting a, a proof, uh, a true promo uh, kind of blurring the line of kayfabe kind of being a shoot kind of not really, you know, understanding, you know, what, what's really going on because look, if you want to be uh, uh, Frank, he could basically, uh, you can say seven months later, he's in WCW. So it's like, wow, this promo almost told the story that he wasn't happy with the WWF and he's gone. But that wasn't even it. That's just ironic. Uh, when you go back and look at those early NWO days, that diesel that Kevin Nash or the, the Kevin Nash is in the early NWO is the diesel that we saw in November 95 till about May 96. Uh, you know, when he departs. Uh, you kind of saw him walk a fine line, still kind of buddies with Shawn Michaels till about February. Uh, he turns on Shawn Michaels at a Madison square garden house show. He takes a chair to his back in a great tag team match that the WWE has released since in full form, uh, on one of their, uh, unreleased matches, DVDs. It is excellent. It's Bret Hart and the undertaker against Shawn Michaels and diesel at Madison square garden. Michael Hayes, a.k.a. Doc Hendricks, is the guest referee. You get full entrances. You get the garden on fire. And it's taped, which they probably were using for, you know, uh, road agent material to review the matches, how the guys are working. Uh, Diesel turns on Shawn Michaels with a chair shot. And it would eventually lead to them having Diesel's farewell match at Good Friends, Better Enemies in your house, uh, where they pull... Uh, Mad Dog Vashon's leg off, use it as a uh, as a weapon. Great move. Not the first time a leg's going to get pulled off, and obviously not going to be the last uh, either um, during that uh, time frame of the uh, the new generation into the Attitude Era. But um, you know, the six months with Diesel as the tweener and then full blown heel with a lot of blurring of the lines. And even with the Shawn Michaels feud, they, they called the I remember Shawn Michaels calling him specifically Kevin on a show. And it's like, Kevin, who the heck's that? Oh, that's his name. Kevin Nash. No clue. They were trying to make you believe these guys really hate each other. And re there really was animosity and there really was bad blood. And you could go all the way back to November and that handshake that they had right before Shawn Michaels entered for his uh, collapse uh, match. You know, these guys were intertwined throughout those six months and he finally turns on his buddy and then guess what? He's out the door 
and uh, you know, obviously the rest they say is, uh, is history, but to kind of bring it back to the promo, go out of your way to watch this. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's on YouTube. It's very accessible. The, uh, the, the full raw, I believe is on the WWE network. Uh, to be honest with you, you could find the full raw. If you search it into Google, November 20th, 1995, it will come up. You can watch it on uh, whatever video stream it pops up on. Um, it's about 35 minutes into the show. Um, again, it's about five minutes total in segment, uh, in the segment, but it's about three minutes of the promo. You will not be disappointed. It is something that is rarely seen. It is not done like this anymore. And it takes a hell of a pro like a Kevin Nash to be able to, to feel so strong in his convictions that he reaches through the screen still. And you feel that emotion. You feel that realness coming through a guy who was pissed off and bitter. He had to change. Now he didn't say he changed for the money. He just did it because he was the champion. And I think we could all kind of agree that if we were given a championship or we were awarded as the top guy, we would probably change to cater to whatever situation called uh, for, you know, whether it's as a manager or in a, in your job, or you are a teacher or somebody, when you get called upon as the leader, you kind of have to take a different mindset of things and uh, it, it could change how you go about treating people, doing things. And in the diesel character, it changed everything about it from top to bottom. We went from gritty, uh, you know, steel toed boots and uh, acid wash jeans to pressed, you know, GQ Armani suits. And that did not fit, albeit very key to the uh, years of 1995 and in very spiffy, uh, you know, makeover. Uh, it wasn't the same guy. It didn't have the same appeal that the grittiness of a big daddy cool did. And, you know, once you hear that music hit, you hear that engine revving and then it goes into the diesel blues. You know that uh, somebody's going to get jackknife. And if you don't have that black glove on your shit out of luck, because you're going to get blown by uh, Big Daddy Cool on his way to uh, do some damage. So highly, highly, highly recommend this. Uh, it seems like when I've kind of recommended these kind of segments, people do respond to it. And I, I really implore you to watch it and give me some feedback on it. What do you think? Does it hold up? Is this just me talking out my ass? Is this me just saying I love this and I want you to love it? Or is it something that holds up? that you could see put on the TV on Monday night and it could still garner an audience and get people thinking and want people seeing this guy kick some ass, take names the way wrestling is supposed to be. Not all this ballet, not all this, you know, uh, maybe we're going to fight uh, or, you know, you tripped me backstage and now we're going to have a match. This is a guy who carried the company on his back for a year and he's pissed off about it and he wants to take everybody out. One, two, three across the board to get that title back by any means necessary. Even if that means turning on his friends, turning on his fans, giving management the, uh, you know, proverbial finger and doing whatever he can to get back on top. You got to love that motivation and you got to love big daddy, cool diesel. So with that being said, let's get into the, uh, the wrap up here on new generation declassify. got a big show on tap next week. Got a very special guest coming on to join me. As we kind of uh, look at a uh, surprise segment, I'm not going to uh, reveal it yet. I have an idea in mind, but uh, something that I feel like this guest could uh, have a lot of input on, uh, maybe having to do a little bit with the same style business uh, somewhat. 
but I think you'll uh, you'll get a kick out of who this guest is going to be and uh, really explore more about this new generation. Uh, you know, once I start to think, yeah, maybe, you know, I kind of did something similar to this and maybe we got to switch it up a little bit more. Uh, I kind of surprise myself with what I find. And uh, this promo really uh, sets the table for a lot of cool stuff that we're going to unearth and uh, just trying to find uh, some really, really key spots to roll them out. Don't want to hit you all over the head at once with, uh, you know, <laughs> A plus after A plus after A plus. I want to uh, build to certain things. So we're going to do that here in the coming weeks. But next week, we got a great one on tap for you uh, today. So if you want to get more of these style of podcasts, head to TNPTEmpire.com. Everything you need under one roof. Obviously, a lot of changes going on. You'll be able to find those uh, wherever the changes will take place. Check your local social media pages for all of that information. If you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, it's at Chad B in both places. Um, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be able to broadcast uh, these shows and introduce you to stuff you maybe never saw before. Uh, maybe you thought about checking out and never did, or you want to go back and look at it and be, uh, you know, back to being 14, 15 years old. Like I am looking back at these shows and having that same little bit of wonderment, uh, in your brain for the wrestling business. I mean, look, I think about 95 and yeah, it's a shitty era in some people's, uh, thoughts. I don't think so. Uh, what I think it was, was the era that basically made me want to explore working in wrestling in some capacity, uh, like I would end up doing, but this was the era that I watched all the tricks being done because there was not as many eyeballs on it. There wasn't as many things that you, uh, you, you couldn't compare and contrast to other products. This was a time it was very pivotal for many. And I really give this era a lot of credit for uh, the things that I could go on to do with my career, not just with wrestling, but even in television uh, and beyond. So uh, with all that being said, if you want to check out my website as well, it's ibexclusives.com. Got some autograph signings going on over there, including the Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle uh, and Jimmy Wang Yang. No slouch at all in terms of the uh, the, the wrestling world. Uh, former WCW and WWE superstar. Appreciate everybody who checks those uh, signings out as well as listens to any of the shows uh, going on. Also, don't forget the uh, the Triple Threat podcast on the Vince Russo brand and Eyes Up Here with the Queen of Extreme, Francine on Patreon, as well as the Creative Control Podcast Network. Uh, so that's enough about me. You heard me talk for 34 minutes and five seconds. Uh, for everybody under the TMPT empire and the new generation umbrella, this is the Chadster, and we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.